Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. You got your Bible. I hope you do. Grab it. Pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of those hardback black Bibles from under your chair. If you're using one of those, it'll be page 995. Today, we're beginning a new series in the book of 2 Timothy. We finished up 1 Timothy a couple of weeks ago, and as we're moving into 2 Timothy, uh, we need to keep in mind that although 2 Timothy in our Bibles, as we're reading, it comes immediately after 1 Timothy, the situation has changed a little bit. When we began 1 Timothy, I told you that that was a letter written from Paul to Timothy sometime in the early 60s AD while Timothy was in Ephesus and he was working to to grow a church to be a healthy and thriving church. He was there working and Paul was giving him these instructions on how to do that. But as we come to 2 Timothy, things have changed a little bit. It's likely that a few years have passed. Paul is in prison in Rome. And scholars seem to be united in in the fact that this is an imprisonment that happened after what we read about in the book of Acts. And it was a much harsher imprisonment. And this time for Paul, even though he's been in prison a few times and, and he's managed to get out, sometimes miraculously this time, the only way out for Paul is death. Church tradition holds that Paul was condemned by Emperor Nero and beheaded with a sword sometime in 64 or 65 AD. And this letter that we call 2 Timothy was written just before that happened. Paul is in prison. He knows his life is coming to an end. He's facing certain death. And so he writes one final letter to one of his closest friends, one of his partners in ministry, his true child in the faith. And that letter is the letter we call 2 Timothy. This is a very personal letter as we read through this. There's a sense of urgency. There's a passion in this letter. But as we read it, if we want to get everything out of it that we can, we have got to keep that situation, that context in mind. Paul is in prison. He's about to die. He's looking at death straight in the face. And even as all that's happening... He's writing this letter to encourage his brother, his son, his friend. In God's sovereignty, this letter has been preserved for 2,000 years. And as we read this, it's going to teach us a whole lot about how to follow Christ when following Christ isn't easy, which I think you can argue is where we're at today. So with that in mind, let's, let's just go ahead and dive in. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're really only looking at the first seven verses today. It's kind of the introduction. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. 
I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we dive into this text, this new book that we're beginning, this this new series that we're beginning, God, I ask that you would speak to every person in the room today, that you would remind us that when we look around the world and things aren't going the way that we expect them to do, that you would remind us where our hope lies, that it doesn't lie in stuff, it doesn't lie in in our life here, our, our hope lies in Jesus, in his finished work at the cross. God, I ask that you would stir in us hearts of thanksgiving, that we would be thankful for the ways that you have blessed us, that as trials come and go, we will constantly look to you and see that you are faithful, that you take care of us, that you love us, that you care for us. And as, as all of that is happening, God, I ask that you would make us bold, that you would fill us with power, with love, with, with self-control so that we can live on mission for you. God, as we begin this new series in the book of 2 Timothy, I ask that you would speak to us in a, a new and profound way, that you would give us what we need in order to live in this moment where you have placed us. Because God, we're not here by accident. None of this has caught you off guard, but you and your sovereignty have placed us in here in this moment in Alberta for such a time as this. And so God, I ask that you would give us what we need so that we can live on mission for you. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful, precious name we pray. Amen. Now, as we begin, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. Close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to put yourself into the situation here. Imagine what it must have been like. You've grown up in church. Your upbringing was strict. There were lots of rules, but you were a rule follower, so you thrived. You were always the model church kid. Your upbringing, it was strict, but but you were a perfect little church kid. You memorized all your Bible verses. You knew all the songs. You knew the motions to all the songs. As you got older, you served in the church. You became a youth leader. You became a a deacon. You were one of the core members of the church. And then one day, as you're driving down the road, you have an encounter. You're on this errand for the church, but you have an encounter, and, and your life changes forever. You meet Jesus, and you learn that all of your rule following isn't what saves you. You learn that everything that you've been doing for the church, all of that church stuff, it's not what saves you. And as you walk away from that meeting, you have a new fire and passion. You want to help as many people as you can to come and meet and know this Jesus who you've come to know. So you quit your job and you go into ministry. You travel all over the globe sharing the good news that you found. You plant churches, you make disciples, you build partnerships and friendships that are stronger than family. But along the way, you make a few enemies too. And they don't like this gospel message that you're proclaiming. You begin to learn what the inside of a jail cell looks like. 
but somehow you, you always manage to regain your freedom. And the whole time, whether you're in jail or not, you're sharing the gospel because that's how important it is to you. But now you're an old man and you're in jail again, and this time it's different. This time, everyone has deserted you. This time, the court is stacked against you. This time, you know there is no escape. This time, you know that the only way out is in a box. You're looking at death in the face. What do you do? Open your eyes. That's where we are as we begin this letter. Paul is in prison. He's about to die. He's looking at death in the face. And even as all of that is happening, he's writing this letter to encourage his brother, his son, his friend. Today, we're looking at just the introduction to this letter. And so often when we look at these introductions, our, our inclination is to kind of just kind of go through them quickly. And we do that because they're fairly formulaic. They, they follow the same formula as, as most first century letters. But today, we're going to anchor down for a few minutes. And, and as we do, as we look at the intro to this letter, we're going to get a glimpse into Paul's character. We're going to get a glimpse into his heart. We're going to see what's going on behind the scenes. So Paul begins this letter in verses 1 and 2 with what I, I noted just a second ago. It's a formulaic address. He writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, as, as we look at this, we could anchor down on a couple of areas. We could talk about the, the fact that Paul is an apostle. And what that means is that his authority, as he's writing, it, it's not his authority, it, it comes from Jesus. We could talk about the fact that Paul's ministry is inside the will of God. That, that God's plan for salvation history, God's plan for getting the gospel out to the world, it included Paul's ministry. But what I want to anchor down on for a moment is the part that might be the easiest part to pass over. And it's that phrase that Paul makes, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that statement mean right there? What, what is that saying? That's, that's the gospel, right? He's, he's mentioning the gospel, but if we remember Paul's context, his situation, what we're seeing here is something much deeper. What we're seeing is that the gospel has shaped Paul's entire worldview. Paul is looking at death in the face and as he begins this letter, but he doesn't talk about death. In fact, he's not going to talk about his impending death until the very end of the letter in chapter 4, verse 6. Paul begins this letter looking at a promise of death but as he talks, he begins by talking about the promise of life. You see, Paul understands that in Jesus, this life here on earth is not all that there is. So even in the face of death, Paul has hope. He has hope because Paul understands something important. And that's that, that if you're in Jesus this life right here, living on earth, this is only the precursor. There's something more coming and it's better. It's so much better. So Paul has hope. 
But imagine if that's not true. Imagine if there is no promise of life. If you're looking at death and this life here on earth is all that there is, you're hopeless. If you're looking at death and and this is all there is, this changes how you're going to respond to this situation. You're going to do whatever you can to avoid death. You'll spend every last dollar you have. You'll sell all of your possessions in order to avoid death. You'll take any step that's necessary in order to avoid death. And this right here should ring a bell with us because this is where we've been for the last year and a half. I'm not trying to be political. I'm I'm just saying this is the situation that we're living in. Across the globe, people have been taking whatever steps they think are necessary in order to avoid death. We've shut down entire societies for months. We've locked ourselves into our homes, afraid to go outside into the world, afraid to gather together, all because we're afraid of death. And that fear is driven by a society that tells us that this life is all that there is. This is where we live. That worldview right there. We live in a society that tells us that this is all there is, so pursue what makes you happy. That's the mantra of our society. It's our ethos. And that societal ethos has even infected the church. We talk about heaven. We talk about eternal life. But if I can just be blunt with you for a minute, a lot of us don't live like we believe that that is true. We just don't. And Christians have been inundated with this message to live for today. We've got so-called Christian books out there that tell you how to have your best life now. But the truth of the matter is, that's not biblical. It's just not. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope isn't in things. Our hope isn't in achieving our goals. Our hope, if we're Christians, is in Jesus. If this life is all there is for us, then what automatically becomes our greatest enemy? If this life, if if these 70 or 80 years that we get is all that there is, then what becomes our greatest fear? Death. But the gospel message is the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The gospel message is, is that Jesus has defeated the very thing that this society is telling us we should fear most. He's defeated death in the gospel. We get to sing with the apostles and the prophets that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We get to sing that. In the face of death, Paul has hope, and we should too. So right here in the introduction to this letter, like in the first verse, maybe we need to pause and ask ourselves, where's your hope? Where is my hope? Am I living like this is all there is? Or am I living under the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus? We've been talking about this for a while now, like like a long while. But what we're seeing right here in, in Paul's life again is that following Jesus isn't easy. 
Following Christ means that there are going to be some sacrifices that are going to be made. It's going to be hard. It means we're going to have to die to ourselves and live for Christ. But Paul is giving us an example here that we can follow. When following Christ is hard, remember your hope. When it gets difficult, when you don't want to, when, when life starts throwing stuff at you that you're not expecting, when following Christ gets hard, remember your hope. Your hope isn't in this life. Your hope is in the life that is in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul was doing. That's what he's saying. And, and as we continue in the letter, we're going to see that that hope drove the whole way that Paul approached the situation. Remember the context. Paul's in prison. His trial, as you read later in the letter, you're going to read, the trial's not going well. All of his friends have deserted him. He's facing execution. And in the midst of all of that, Paul is thankful. He's thankful. That makes no sense, but he is. Look at verses three through five. He writes, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul's thankful. He's giving thanks, and that should grab our attention because that is not the natural response to sitting on death row waiting for your execution. But why is he thankful? In the Greek, those three verses there are one run-on sentence where Paul makes a, a, a bunch of um, parenthetical statements as he goes, and it can get a little bit difficult to read. So, so I've actually taken this, and I've, I've kind of cut out those parenthetical statements. And if we can throw that up on the screen right here, it'll help you see what Paul is actually thankful for. He says, I thank God whom I serve. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, as I remember your tears, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul is thankful for Timothy's sincere faith. This faith that he's seen at work in Timothy's life. Timothy has an authentic faith. That's what that word sincere means right there. He, he has continued through all his trials, through all his difficulties to believe and trust in Jesus. And Paul has personal knowledge of this. He mentions Timothy's tears there. Now, there are some scholars who, who contend that this might be a reference to Paul at Miletus talking with the Ephesian elders as he's saying goodbye to them. And in Acts chapter 20, it tells us all about that. And it tells us how they were weeping as, as Paul left them. It might be a reference to that. But the far more likely reality is that Paul is, is thinking of some trial that Timothy has gone through that we just don't know about. We don't have a record of it, but the idea is that, that following Christ hasn't been easy, and yet in all of that, Timothy has continued on the mission. Paul is looking at the end of his ministry, but he knows that the mission is going to continue forward because God's work of salvation is bigger than any one person. Paul is serving God just as his ancestors did. By the way, that, that Greek word there, progonos, it means parents, forefathers. Paul is serving God just like his parents, just like his grandparents had done. And so is Timothy. Timothy's faith is a generational faith. 
His grandmother and mother were Jewish women who who came to know and follow Christ. and, And along the way, they shared Christ with Timothy. And now Timothy is following Christ. And this is just a side note. This one's for free. Parents, do you want your kids to grow up to know and love and follow Jesus? Then you need to make a priority of your following Jesus. You need to make a priority of you knowing and loving Jesus. Let your kids see you worship Jesus. Let your kids see you making Jesus a priority in your life. Let them see your heart of repentance. Generational faith, it's a real thing. That one's side note, it's for free. Back to the text. Paul is getting to the end of his ministry. And yet he knows that this mission is going to continue. And in a very real sense, with Paul sitting in jail, waiting for his execution, it looks like Paul has failed, right? Like if you're just a spectator watching, it's like, well, you tried, Paul, but now you failed. It looks like he's failed. But because Paul's hope is in Christ, in the promise of the life that is in Christ, he's able to be thankful And we can take that and use it as an example to follow. If you're following Christ, when things go sideways, when they don't go the way that you've planned or hoped, maybe you've made a mistake, maybe your kids are wandering from the faith, maybe you've sinned, maybe you're just feeling like everything around you is crumbling. In those moments, be like Paul. When you're looking at failure, cultivate thanksgiving. When when you're looking at the world crumbling around you, when you've sinned, repent and cultivate thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about a superficial, just cheer you up, Julie Andrews singing in the sound of music about bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about a genuine, heartfelt gratitude toward God for the way that he's worked in the past for his faithfulness in the present, for for the fact that we can hold on to him when things don't go the way that we want, for the fact that he's always in our lives, that even in our failure, he's working in us. He doesn't give up on us. Cultivate thanksgiving. Be thankful for that. Sit down and, and consider the profound and deep ways that God has been at work in and for you. I'm I'm telling you, if you do that, it can take away that sadness. It can take away that despair. Cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. I, I really think that's what was going on in Paul's heart right there. He's able to have joy. Even as he's looking at death. Because he's thankful. Because he knows that the mission is going to continue on, even if he wasn't. And so right there, as we look at that, we, we, we should reflect and, and maybe ask the question, am I thankful? Am I thankful? Or am I bitter? Again, I'm not talking about superficial thanksgiving. I'm talking about thanking, I'm not talking about like, like thanking God for our food. I'm not talking about thanking God for for the comforts he's provided in our life. I'm I'm talking about, are you thankful for Jesus? Are, Are you thankful that God saved you, that he's reconciled you to himself? 
Are you thankful that Jesus paid the price for your sin, yours personally? Or are you taking it for granted? Are you thankful that God leads us in those trials to lean on him? Are you thankful? Think about that. Here at the beginning of this letter, we we see that Paul has an attitude of hope and an attitude of thanksgiving, but I'd also like you to notice that even in all of that, Paul is bold. There's some boldness going on here. Paul's attitude in the face of death, like we really need to understand that's where Paul's at. That shapes how we see this, his attitude in in the face of death, it serves as the ground on which he's going to give the only command that we find in this introduction. And it's a bold command. Take a look at verses six and seven with me. He writes, for this reason. Now, now what's the reason there? It's Timothy's faith. It's his sincere faith. The, The faith that Paul has been thankful for. For that reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fan the flame of the gift of God that is in you. That's the command. It's the only command we, write, we encounter right here in, in this introduction. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about a hike I went on in the Rocky Mountains um, when I was in Royal Rangers. And, and I told you that part of that hike was some survival training that we did. Um, we learned how to build shelters. We learned what foods we could and couldn't eat as we were hiking through the woods, what plants were safe to eat. We learned how to trap game. Like we talked about how I built snares. And we also learned how to build a fire um, when you don't have any matches. And I know that your natural inclination when you think about building a fire without matches is to think of taking a couple of sticks and just kind of rubbing them together until, until you get a spark. But, but that's not what we were taught to do. Instead, what we were taught to do is that part of our survival kit that we carried when we went hiking was this magnesium rod fire starter. And what we would do is we would take, um, we'd look around and we, we would gather some tinder together. So we'd look for dried pine needles and leaves and we would we'd kind of build a fire or, or, or a mound with that. And then over the top of that, we would get some, some kindling, some twigs and sticks that are dried out. And we'd, we'd put that on top and then we would take that magnesium rod out and, and we would grab our knife and, and we would take that, that magnesium rod and we'd just shave the magnesium onto the top of all of that tinder we get ourselves a little pile of magnesium shavings. And then we would flip that bar over. And on the other side of that bar, there's this flint. And you'd take your knife and you would flip your knife over to the back side of your knife. And you would run the back of your knife down that flint. And what would happen is a bunch of sparks would get thrown down onto the pile that you've made. And if you wanted the fire to burn, what you had to do is you had to get down on your knees and you'd you'd run that knife down and and you'd get that spark onto the magnesium and and that magnesium would start to burn. And as it starts to burn, the twigs and, and pine needles would start to burn. But if you really wanted to get a roaring fire, what you had to do is you had to go, you had to blow. You had to fan the flame onto that fire to get it to grow into a roaring fire. And where once you had just a couple of sparks, now you've got this large fire that can cook your food, that can provide warmth, that can provide light, that can keep you safe in the dark when you're in the middle of nowhere. 
And that's a picture of what Paul is telling Timothy to do here spiritually. Paul's saying that you've been given this gift from God. And we don't know what that gift was with certainty. Um, we, we think it probably had to do with his ability to lead the church. Like there's some gifting in pastoral leadership, but, but what Paul is telling him is fan the flame. Let that fire grow into a roaring fire. Because the temptation, when you're facing circumstances like, like Paul was facing, when you're facing circumstances like Timothy was facing, the temptation in moments like that is to shrink back. The temptation is to be afraid. You get the sense that Timothy was dealing with a little bit of fear, and rightly so. Like, we don't know a whole lot about what was going on in Timothy's situation, but, but if we just set that aside and we think about him, him knowing what's going on with Paul, Paul, his spiritual father, his favorite pastor and preacher, his, his closest friend is in prison. Everybody's distur- deserted him. He's facing execution. If that's where Timothy's at, I think it's fair and even logical to assume that Timothy's got some fear issues going on. Am I right? And that fear is going to lead Timothy to, to want to shrink back. So Paul is telling Timothy, fan the flame. Be bold. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Fan the flame. And the reason that he can do that, the reason he can fan the flame is right there in verse seven. He says, for, because, don't give up, fan the flame, because God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what? Say it with me. Of of what? Power and love and self-control. That's what God's given us. You see, when God dwells in us as Jesus' disciples, as his followers, the Holy Spirit fills us and he gives us a spirit, not of fear, so that we shrink back. In fact, he gives us just the opposite. He gives us the antidote to fear. He gives us power. He gives us love. He gives us self-control because he's giving us himself. I love how the NIV translates verse seven. Take a look at this. I'm gonna throw it up on the screens. Thank you. Uh, Because I think this catches the weight of this so well. He says, for the spirit of God, the spirit God gave us. Really quick notice, spirit is capitalized. That matters. This is the Holy Spirit. That's who he's talking about. The third person of the Trinity, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit gives us power. That's the ability to do the things that we're gonna need to do as we serve God. It's the ability to get things done. It's what we're gonna need in the face of the challenges, the difficulties, the trials that we're gonna face as we follow Jesus. And it's helpful for us to remember that the power that God gives us, it's not Josh power. It's not coming here on Sunday and hearing Josh yell at you for 40 minutes and now I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. This is the power of God. It's his power. It's his perseverance. It's his ability and strength. God gives us what we need so that we don't have to shrink back. But he also gives us love. In a world that seems like it's stacked against us, 
In a world that, that seems like it wants to crush us at every moment, if we're going to live on mission for Jesus, we're going to need a kind of love that, that makes no sense to outsiders. Because even as the world hates you, what are you called to do to the world? Love them, right? So God pours his love into us so that it can overflow out of us. God gives us his love so that we can share it with others. And he gives us self-control. Listen, the, the fears that Timothy were facing, they were not superficial fears. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. And the fear that was going to come at our way, the, the fear we're going to encounter, it, it won't be superficial either. Like we're not talking about a fear of spiders, a fear of snakes, a fear of heights. We're not talking about superficial fear. We're talking about like stop you in your tracks, crippling, like real, keep you from living on mission kind of fear. But in the midst of all of that, what does God give us? He gives us his spirit. He, he gives us, in, in the midst of that, a spirit of self-control so that we won't be controlled by that fear. So that we can walk in boldness and faithfulness so that we're aware of our fear, but not controlled by it. All throughout the Bible, we see this command to fear not. It's everywhere. God told Abram, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. He told Isaac, fear not, for I am with you. He told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He told Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus told Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. This command to not be afraid is throughout the Bible. But did you notice what was going on in every single one of those commands? What did he say? He said, I am with you. He's with us. Incidentally, how does the gospel of Matthew end? We say it every single Sunday. Jesus comes up to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what? I am with you to the end of the age. God gives us his spirit and his spirit gives us power. His spirit gives us love. His spirit gives us self-control so that we won't be afraid. So instead of being afraid, fan the flame. That's what we're seeing right here. Listen, I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm, I'm just not. But we can look out in the world right now and we can tell that the ground is shifting. Being a Christian today in 2021 and going forward is, is not going to be like it was when I was a kid in the 80s. It's not going to be like it was when our parents were kids. We can look at the world around us, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just not, but, 
but I'm telling you that being a Christian is gonna come with a cost. It's not gonna be easy. If you're looking for easy Christianity, you're, you're not gonna find it. It's going to get real for us, just like it was getting real for Paul, just like it was getting real for Timothy. That's why we've titled this sermon series, It's Getting Real, because it is. It's getting real. It's going to come with a cost. There isn't room to play church anymore. I've told y'all over the last few weeks, I've I've like had this this like burning fire in me. Like I am not going to play church anymore. I don't want to play games anymore. I want to do this for real because there's going to be a cost. And if there's going to be a cost, let's make it worth it. It's getting real. So it's time to be serious. It's time to fan the flame that God has put inside of you. But as I've thought about this command all week and as I've been studying and working with it, I've been wrestling with this question that I want you to wrestle with as well. And that question is this. We're going to throw it up on the screen here. Where's the flame in my heart? Don't answer quickly. Think about that. Where's the flame in my heart? Is there a spark? Is there an ember? Is there just a little bit of a dying out fire? Is there anything there at all? Or is is there a raging fire right there? Where's the flame in my heart? This week, this text has been digging at me. And I I think it's been digging at me because if I can just be perfectly honest, like transparent, get me fired, kind of honest with you, I, I don't think I've been fanning the flame as much as I could be. And so, so this flame isn't where it could be. And I think I'm not alone in that. I don't think it's just me. It's getting real out there. And yes, it's gonna be hard to follow Jesus. It just is. Like if you're doing this to be popular, there's cooler things you could be doing than being a Christian. It's gonna be scary at times. Fan the flame. How do we fan the flame? How do we do that? We fan the flame by being with God. We we fan the flame by spending time in his word. When was the last time you opened up your Bible and and read how God speaks to us? You don't have to wonder what God wants us to do. Spend time in his word. Spend time talking to him, pray. I think I've prayed more in the last week than I have in, in a very long time. Like basically everywhere I go, I'm, I'm not even kidding. In the shop, cleaning up the shop, in the barn, cleaning out the barn, while I'm doing the chores, while I'm taking a shower, everywhere I'm going, driving down the road, I'm praying because this is weighing on me. So we spend time, that's how we fan the flame, we spend time in prayer. We spend time by connecting in fellowship with God's body, the church. I've told you all a couple times recently, I'm gonna keep telling you, we cannot neglect the gathering together. We need this. 
This helps us to fan the flame, singing together the blessing like Ricky was talking about a minute. That helps us to fan the flame. So today the encouragement is this. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, there are going to be tears. Yes, there's going to be trials. Fear not. God is with you. Fan the flame. It's getting real. But God's standing here saying, fear not. I am with you. Fan the flame. That's what we're seeing here in just the introduction to this letter. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.